Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Wednesday, October 16th, the day after the Vancouver Canucks come up with a big 5-1 victory over the Detroit Red Wings and go perfect through their early three-game homestand and are undefeated, in fact, with Bo Horvat as the captain of the Canucks. A bit of a late episode here today. I like to record these in the immediate aftermath of the games just while everything is fresh in my mind, but uh, hell of a day for me on Tuesday. Hell of a day in the Vancouver radio scene, of course. Uh, Big cuts at the place where I work. Uh, Four people lost their jobs uh, due to uh, you know, budget uh, reasons, and it's uh, very unfortunate and um, just a stressful day all around as, you know, you go through two hours of waiting to find out if you still have a job. And I do, fortunately, but my heart goes out to uh, the four guys who no longer uh, do, though, of course, Rick Dollywall quickly landing on his feet uh, across the way at 1040. Very happy, actually, for Rick uh, to, that that would happen for him so quickly because, uh, he is as, about as tapped in as it gets in this market, and uh, hats off to him. Uh, it was a pleasure working with him on the morning show last summer, uh, and though he could be a little prickly on the air, taking shots at me left and right, uh, very kind behind the scenes, and I have to uh, give him the old tip of the cap. Uh, it was a pleasure working with him. It was a pleasure being made fun of by him, and uh, you know, it, you hate that part of the business. It is so common lately uh, that, you know, we have these uh, black days where people just wait on pins and needles to find out if they have survived the latest budget cuts. Uh, It's not fun, honestly. And um, as a result, I was a little bit uh, exhausted after the game came to a close yesterday after just being emotionally drained by the day that was. So my apologies that this is coming to you a little bit later than I initially planned. But hey, I can still remember that game and there's still plenty to talk about from it, a game where, as I mentioned, the Canucks come up with a 5-1 victory over the Detroit Red Wings, and they dominated Detroit. It was a dominating performance, and maybe no surprise. You know, I joked in the preview show the day before that Detroit uh, it might be beaten by some AHL teams. That's not a – I mean, it is a bad team. Yes, they are a bad team, but they do have – more good players than I would have given them credit for, or at least the good players that they do have are much better than I thought at this stage in their career. I'm talking specifically about that top line of uh, Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, and Tyler Bertuzzi, who uh, are really quite good, honestly. And it, But it, the way this team is built right now reminds me of the Buffalo Sabres of years previous, where... Yes, they had a top line that included, you know, uh, Evander Kane and uh, Jack Eichel, but that was really a one-line team, and that line was dominant, would, you know, dominate shot share and be, you know, all over other teams in the offensive zone, but if you could get past that one line, there was nothing more to that team beyond those guys. That's really the tale of where Detroit is right now. Dylan Larkin looks like a hell of a player. Anthony Mantha looks like a hell of a player. Tyler Bertuzzi looks, I guess, good. He's definitely the third man of the three guys on that line, but uh, certainly a player as well. And, um, you know, the the tale of that game is the fact that Vancouver was able to hard match their fourth line against the top line of the Red Wings and basically come out on top. Yes, the Red Wings scored 
30 seconds into the game on their very first shot. Yes, Thatcher Demko surrendered a goal on the very first shot he faced in his first action of the year, his first action in three weeks, in fact. And we'll talk more about Demko and the goaltending situation a little bit later on in the show. But once you got past that 30 seconds where the Bo Horvat line started the game and got caught a little flat-footed right out of the gate. Once you got through that, it was a just one-sided beatdown from Vancouver. And you know what? Yes, as I mentioned, uh, it was the top line that is very skilled for the Detroit Red Wings, but the rest of their lineup, man, all of their skill is focused on that top three. And and the, the bottom nine forwards are all kind of you know, to borrow a term that Travis Green used at one point last season, it's a grunty lineup. It is a gritty group, and they forced Vancouver to kind of play a little chippy to get that style, uh, you know, and, and then this is the, like, one of the great takeaways of this Canucks homestand, and I don't want to make too much of it. Yes, the team is 3-2 and two through five games. Yes, they are undefeated on home ice. Yes, they are undefeated with Bo Horvat as team captain, but these were all teams on this homestand that missed the playoffs last year. We came into this homestand talking about how this is a, a team that needs to make hay while the sun is shining. You need to beat the teams that you are expected to beat if you want to be a playoff team. And they certainly did that through this homestand. But the real test of what this team is going to be is coming up a little bit later as they hit the road and get some harder matchups. We'll touch more on that later as well. But I want to spend more time on that fourth line of the Vancouver Canucks. Tim Schaller, Jay Beagle, and Tyler Mott. Tyler Mott playing his very first game of the season and was, uh, you know, very good. I've I've been critical of all three guys on that line in the past. Beagle, not necessarily as a player. I mean, the, the problem with Beagle is just conceptually you don't necessarily need two guys in that mold. And if you're going to build your entire bottom six around Sutter and Beagle, well, that's a philosophical conversation that we've had in the past. As a player, if you're able to separate him from the contract, which is quite costly for a fourth-line center, you know, uh, he's still valuable. There's a reason that the Vancouver Canucks have the number one power play in the league right now, a full 15.2 percentages above the league average. They're something like 93.8% on the season at the moment. In fact, that's exactly what they are, which, yes, small sample size, only five games, but penalty killing has been a key strength of this team in the early going, and if they can get the power play running to match it, if you're good on special teams, if you have you know elite special teams in at least one facet, if they have an elite penalty kill and a good power play, that is a recipe for being a playoff team. But you know these guys that I was advocating for cutting out of training camp, like Tyler Mott and Tim Schaller, look, maybe I shouldn't eat too much crow because it's a long season yet, and they might come to frustrate us exactly as they have in the past. But the early returns on this team at the moment is that they are different from last year, that there is a different vibe around this team at the moment, that Tim Schaller seems a lot more physically engaged when he's in the lineup than he did at any point last year. And that was certainly noticeable in the game against Detroit where he was just hitting left and right, had a huge open ice check on Dylan Larkin, and that line was able to successfully go head-to-head against the top line of the Detroit Red Wings and get, put them in fits, the, put threw them completely off their game. That is masterful checking from a line-matching situation, and if you can get that 
from your fourth line. Look, I've complained about the third line in the past and my desire to see three scoring units. It was an off night for the Horvat line, but that line has been used to to match against top talents in the past. If you're going to use your Bo Horvat line, your uh, ostensible top line, at least as far as line rushes go in pregame warmups, they always skate first. If your first line and your fourth line are giving you quality checking minutes night in and night out, then it is entirely feasible to have a third line built around a scoring identity. And I don't want to have to talk about Sven Berchi all the time, but I listen to the radio in this city and I do hear people talking about him as if this team is better off without him because they won some games. As if, uh, flip a coin as far as Louis Erickson versus Sven Berchi, who's going to be better for this team. You can still build a scoring line on the third line with the people that you have available to you. Michael Furland not going at the moment. It's not really looking good for him, but when his game gets going when he regains some body mass, when he, you know, completely recovers from this illness that he's had. If you put a Michael Furland or a Josh Levo or a Sven Berchi or a Antoine Roussel on the wing of an Adam Gaudet who is determined to work hard to cement his spot on this team, if he can get back into the lineup, you know, or even a Jake Vertanen on the wing with those guys or a Brandon Sutter on the wing with those guys. That can have a scoring identity. Brandon Sutter can be a winger on a line, a third line that has a scoring identity. Yes, these things are possible, but they're only possible if that fourth line continues to deliver the goods. And that might be more difficult against better teams down the line. It's certainly going to get put to the test in situations coming up where the team does not have last change, where they're on the road, where they're taking on, like, for example, the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. We'll find out how they fare in situations like that. Of course, you don't have to worry about your results when you're buying tickets through the Vivid Seats mobile app. That's right, every ticket guaranteed to be good, and that's not all. With the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can attend the concert or show or hockey game of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event as well. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to, and you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase, as I mentioned, backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Just enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. So yes, we should celebrate the successes of this fourth line. We should celebrate the successes of JT Miller, who had himself another excellent game. We should celebrate all of the things that are positive about this team right now, but what they actually are versus what we just saw in three games against teams that you should beat are going to be put to the test in a pretty big way because this is a very road-heavy schedule for the rest of October and the entire month of November. 
five of their next seven, nine of their next 12, and 10 of the 15 games that they play in the month of November are going to be road games. And this is going to put this team to the test early. Hey, maybe it will be a good thing for them. Maybe it will allow for more time to kind of coalesce and spend time bonding together on the road, though that doesn't really feel like it's been a problem on home ice of late, uh, spending time together when you're here in Vancouver. We hear about, you know, uh, Pedersen and, and Besser and, and Hughes being the breakfast club, going for waffles every morning, walking the seawall together. These guys are spending an awful lot of time together at the moment, and it has changed the feeling within this locker room and, and within this city, really, because the team feels different this year, and I feel like the fans can feel it too because the rink feels different. The rink gets loud every time Quinn Hughes has the puck on the power play. The rink gets loud on the penalty kill. The rink was going crazy on Tuesday night against the Red Wings in a five-on-three kill situation. The kind of noise that we haven't heard since this team was very, very good, and I would say that this team right now, in fact, has a different vibe even than the than the team that went all the way to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final in 2011 because that was an excellent team. That might have been the best team of the modern era when healthy. That The only reason they lost that Cup Final is because they got worn down by injuries at the end. But I never got the vibe that those guys, you know, really cared about each other or were great friends off the ice. Or, and maybe that's, you know, part of the the give and take when Ryan Kessler is such an integral member of your roster. But, you know, this team right now very much has the vibe of the West Coast Express era teams where, you know, fans love tuning in to watch that team, not just because they played a high-octane style, they played a very, you know, in-your-face, run-and-gun offensive brand of hockey. The team itself felt like a family, and that has been missing Really, since those days, I guess. Like, it's hard to put your finger on it because you don't know it until you don't feel it, right? And, you know, you're feeling it again right now, and the fans are not alone. The players are noticing it, too. Here's Thatcher Demko after Tuesday's game against the Red Wings. Yeah, the energy in here is a lot different. Uh, there's just a confidence uh, in the room, and, um, you know, I, I just feel like every night we can win. And, you know, that's, that's something that maybe I, I couldn't say last year. And obviously I wasn't here the whole year. But, um, you know, I think guys are, are really confident and guys are gelling together and, and there's really good chemistry. And, um, you know, guys are hanging out away from the rink. And I think that's huge when you're, you're trying to build a team up. So, um, you know, it's just nice having a lot of friends in here and, and hopefully it's something we can build on. Pedersen talked about it after Tuesday's game as well. He was asked by Gemma Karsten-Smith of the Canadian Press, what's different about the three games at home that they've played relative to the two that started the season on the road? And, of course, Elias uh, cracked a joke about how well we won them and we didn't lose them. But he talked also about how there's buy-in, that the guys are there for each other, uh, you know, uh, on and off the ice. We're just there for each other. And there is a kind of familial vibe to this team that has been missing for a good long while. And look, I don't mean to imply that the 2011 team and that whole core didn't care about each other, but there was an almost utilitarian-like execution of excellence from that team. There, there was, you know, not as much, I guess, vibrancy and emotion as you felt 
watching the the West Coast Express guys who obviously, you know, cared about each other as a group an enormous amount. If we can get that feeling back here with this team in this city, this team is going to be a lot more popular than it has been in a very long time. In fact, it might hit peaks that it has never felt before in terms of how many people in this city care to tune in and watch these guys. It shouldn't be the case for much longer that when you go out to watch the games at the bar, the bar is not playing the games with the sound on. You should be able to hear play-by-play commentary in bars and restaurants, and when you do, that's when you know that this city has turned the corner, never mind the team, that this city is finally ready and willing to buy in and embrace with their whole hearts in a way that they haven't since those hearts got broken in 2011. Of course, you're hearing Thatcher Demko's voice there because he played the game on Tuesday night against the Detroit Red Wings, his first game of the season and a start that was not scheduled for him. Jacob Markstrom has been granted a leave of absence from the team to deal with a family emergency and uh, obviously no idea what he is dealing with right now, but uh, hope it's not too serious. Hope that everything uh, winds up being okay for Jacob in the end because he has been dynamite to start the year as well. But the fact that Demko got thrown into this situation, yes, it's not ideal circumstances. Yes, you feel bad for Jacob Markstrom and hope that everything winds up okay with him. But everything turned out pretty okay for Thatcher Demko after those first 30 seconds on Tuesday night. Uh, He had, you know, maybe not the hardest task against the most difficult team to defeat in the NHL, but his teammates made things pretty easy on him as well. The defensive coverage was pretty solid. Yes, he faced 27 shots over the course of the evening, but how many high-danger scoring chances did the Red Wings really have? How many huge saves did Thatcher Demko really need to make? Yeah, he had a pretty huge one on Anthony Mantha uh, on the penalty kill, and and sometimes your best penalty killer, of course, needs to be your goaltender. But Vancouver's best penalty killers lately have been their penalty killers. That penalty kill is outstanding, and that brings us back, of course, to the play of those fourth-line grinders, these guys that I couldn't wait to get rid of at the end of training camp. And look, I... I was wrong, perhaps. Maybe there is more upside to these guys than I first thought. But you can't blame me for feeling that way. You can't blame me for watching what we got out of Tim Schaller last season and not wanting to see him come back again for another go-round. I think maybe he's embarrassed of what we saw as well, and that might be motivating him to have a much better showing this season, but he seems more actively engaged, and that speaks to the buy-in factor that we talked about as well, because it wasn't just him. You know, I mentioned earlier that because Detroit plays such a gritty game, because their lineup is filled from lines two through four with grinders, essentially, it forced Vancouver's hand uh, up and down their lineup to play a bit more of a grinding game as well, and that, you know, made sure that guys who we've typically criticized for inconsistency continued to have strong performances. Jake Vertanen, chief among them. And was he that noticeable in the game as far as mixing stuff up the way he had been in games previous on this homestand, the way he had been against Philadelphia? 
maybe not. But he made one heck of a play to set up Troy Stetcher for the game's uh, first goal for Vancouver. Did he mean to make that play? Probably not. He's probably trying to feed into the slot uh, to find Josh Levo on the play, but he wound up finding the trailer instead, and uh, Troy from Richmond made one heck of a play to jump on that puck and fire it home for his first of the year. Another goal from the back end for the Canucks, who uh, are having one heck of a start to the year as far as offense from the defense goes. Much better than we've seen in recent years. And th- look, this is a team that has depth on the back end that they have not been able to enjoy uh, in years previous. You know, we've come into the year in years before, the last couple of years, maybe the last four years, in fact, wondering if the Canucks could even have a dependable second pairing, never mind uh, a dependable third pairing. Right now you've got Travis Green talking about how he needs to find ways to get more ice time to Jordy Ben and Troy Stetcher. And those are champagne problems. That same kind of depth applies, I think, in some ways to the forward core. Look, I've talked many times about having options in the AHL right now that you can rely on in a pinch. I want Sven Berchi to be back with this team. I still think Sven Berchi is a valuable contributor for this team, and we'll see if he gets that chance again before too long. Whenever it happens, it's going to happen because this team is going to hit injuries, but they have the depth to deal with it. You have the depth to put a guy like Brandon Sutter into a third-line winger role. I guess he was playing center, actually, on Tuesday night, given that Adam Gaudet was out of the lineup. But even then, Sutter looked engaged. He was stirring it up. He was taking headbutts, you know? This is a guy who was right in the heart of it in the game's most emotional moments. And when is the last time, if ever, you've been able to say that about Brandon Sutter's tenure here in Vancouver? Now, with so much of the five-on-five play being of that gritty variety, including when the fourth line was matching up against that top line of the Red Wings, of course, Vancouver got most of its goals from the power play, which has been a rare thing so far this season. The dam finally burst, as Harmon Dial put it, uh, in the armies last night. But, you know, I don't know if if this is something that, you know, it's finally all these chances pay off, or if it's just that the Detroit Red Wings are the Detroit Red Wings and Jonathan Bernier is Jonathan Bernier. Either way, JT Miller continues to be the straw that stirs the drink. He had not one, but two power play goals and was the net Front presence screening Bernier on Edler's power play goal as well. Uh, And, you know, like the most impressive thing about what Miller did in Tuesday's game is the fact that, yes, he scored two power play goals, but he scored them in completely different fashions. The first one, he's the net front presence. He just deflects a point shot and boom, presto, that's your goal uh, after Edler. Uh, you know, he screened for Edler's goal in the early going. The second time around, he tipped Edler's point shot and got a goal of his own. For goal number two on the night for JT Miller, him and Bo Horvat switch positions. Suddenly it's Bo Horvat who's the net front presence, and JT Miller steps out and gets to be in the bumper role. And he's got a heck of a shot on him. You know, uh, that was a lot of the talk coming out of Tampa Bay was, yes, this guy might not have uh, delivered on expectations in the diminished role that he found himself in on this team, 
But uh, his wrister is awful impressive, and even Steven Stamkos, a guy who knows how to shoot pucks, raves about the way that JT Miller can fire him off. We've been seeing that in the early stages of this season so far. You know, I was most impressed looking at the stat line that Miller's put up on the season coming into that game, thinking, look, this guy's having all kinds of success with these offensive players on the top end of the Canucks. He's only fired five shots through four games, of course, Fired a couple more during the course of the action on Tuesday. Four shots on goal in that game, nearly doubling his season total, but a 50% shooting percentage, which is obviously not sustainable. But again, as I talked about on the last show, the you look at the points that Miller is putting up right now, and you would think he must be benefiting from playing with Besser and Pedersen and Horvat. No, at the moment, those guys are benefiting from playing with him. I have to repeat myself on that because it proved itself true yet again. And when you look at the point totals that Pedersen and Besser have put up through the early stages of this season, despite the fact that they have yet to get going really as a team themselves, you can't help but be impressed, honestly. You have to say... It might not speak well to where they are right now in this season, but it does speak well to their ability to be successful NHL players, which, look, that's not a question mark. We obviously knew that Besser and Pedersen are quality NHL players, but when you think about it, we are five games into the year. Neither guy has really had the kind of dominant performances that we've come to expect from them over the years or year in the case of Elias Pedersen, but through five games... Brock Besser, one goal, five assists, more than a point per game. Elias Pettersson, two goals, three assists, right there at a point per game. When they start to have the games that we expect from them, where they do take over, oh boy, look out from this team. Because yes, Pettersson has scored two goals already this season, but they have both been of the Garbaggio variety, just being at the right place in the right time, having the puck come to you, and not even needing much of an impressive shot to put them home. When he starts to turn it up, yes, we are getting the stake right now. We will soon get the sizzle as well, and when that happens, that top line of the Canucks is going to be a force to be reckoned with. The fact that Besser is above a point per game, and Pedersen is right there, and neither guy has really been particularly impressive through the early stages. I mentioned earlier, you don't want to read too much into these early games. Yes, they beat up on a bunch of teams that they should beat, but all of the signs right now are positive. It is hard to pick at too much of what they are doing at the moment. We'll see if that continues to hold true as this road trip begins Tomorrow night, or tonight, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this, in St. Louis. I got another show coming to you before too long as well with a special guest, our first guest on the program. You can look forward to that on Thursday before the game with the Blues gets started. In the meantime, until then, I hope you have yourself uh, a great evening or a great morning, whichever it happens to be. Sorry that I uh, took a couple days off there to deal with uh, work craziness, and just enjoy a nice turkey coma with family on Monday night. But uh, I'm back, and we got a bunch of games to talk about over the course of this weekend as well. Thatcher Demko going to be continued to put to the test, and there's no better test, of course, than the defending Stanley Cup champions. I'll talk to you again before you know it. 
with more. Until then, I've been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you're locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.